Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. pleasure of introducing a person that's speaking for us today. Uh, he is a huge role model of mine. Um, he just has an amazing story. He's doing some amazing things. And it's just, it's honestly a blessing to be able to even share a stage with him for uh, 10 seconds. And so, would you do me a huge favor and just give a huge round of applause for Brent Silkey. Oh, there's the music. I won't sing for you, I promise. Good morning, church. It is great to be with you today. My name, my name is Brent Silkey, and uh, I just had this feeling that those who made it through the bold north weather we had this morning, for those who may be watching online, Facebook Live, I just believe that God is going to do something in us because I believe that he wants to do something through each, of, each and every one of us, including the young people, including the, the seasoned saints that are in the room, that he has a plan, that he wants to do something awesome. And I'm just honored to be with you today, and I would love to just open us up in a time of prayer. So if you'll pray with me, that'd be great. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for you. And God, as we have the opportunity to gather in your name and to lift up the name of Jesus this morning, Lord, we ask that you would come and have your way in every single one of our hearts. God, I thank you for Pastor Chris and Pastor Derek and the leadership of the bridge. And as they continue to lead the way, Lord, we pray that you would continue to pour out your grace and your favor on this place. I pray that as you speak to us, God, by your word this morning and by your Holy Spirit, that there would be something that would happen inside of our hearts, God. Something would shake loose that you've put there. That we would be able to see God dreams realized in our lives. So we ask, Lord, that in this time that you would be so glorified. We pray that as we look at your word this morning, God, that it would jump off the pages of, of the scriptures into our lives and that we would live it out. And we're so grateful, God, for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is great to be with you again. Um, I was here with you guys last March, and I shared a couple of things, and uh, it was, a, it was a, such a fun time to be with you. And Pastor Derek and Pastor Chris called. He said, hey, would you, would you ever want to come back to the bridge? I was like, yes, I would love to come back and be with this awesome church. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I came from the South Twin Cities today, so it was a little bit treacherous, but I'm like, you know what? Minnesota, Minnesota, let's go. We're going to do this thing. So I'd love to introduce you to my family. I've got a picture of my bride. And uh, this is Aliza, and she's my very best friend in the whole world. And I'm so proud of her and what she's doing. I'll tell you a little bit more what she's doing um, towards the end of the message. Um, but she is somebody that I met, actually, we were youth leaders together. And I met her, and uh, I fell in love with her literally the day one. My mom told me this story. She's like, do you remember when you, the day that you first met Eliza? I was like, I think it was August 28, 2015. She goes, yeah, that's the day. <laughs> and she said, you came home and said, Mom, God willing, I believe I met my future wife today. And so we've been married for, this June will be 12 years, and I am so grateful. She's an incredible person. She's the most Christ-like person I've ever known. And um, yeah, she's, an, she's incredible. Uh, I also want to show you a picture. We have the joy of serving college students in St. Paul. 
through a ministry called Chi Alpha. If you're not familiar with Chi Alpha, we're a college campus ministry on over 320 university campuses all across the nation, and we have some international ones as well. And my wife and I have the great joy of serving these students. This is after our uh, one of our fall retreats. We went to Perkins Bakery in Lake Geneva, or at uh, by Alexandria, Minnesota. And uh, we, we took our students there afterward to celebrate. And it was really cool because the, the manager actually, after our meal, he said, can I please speak with you? And I was like, oh boy. And he pulled me aside and he said, we have never had a group like this before in a restaurant. He's like, they were amazing. They were courteous. They were incredible. Please come back. And I'm just like, that's who these students are. And so we have uh, the great joy of serving them and giving students the opportunity to find Jesus and to follow him for a lifetime. And uh, one of the roles that we have in the state, in, in Minnesota, is that we get to help build a bridge from when students graduate from high school and when they transition to college. That we could help them not just survive in their faith, but what we're seeing is a lot of these students are finding faith and a lot of these students are going to the next levels in their faith as they really engage in community and they engage in the scriptures and they engage in small groups. Now we're seeing incredible things. In the last three and a half school years, we have seen 118 students here um, that have said, hey, I want to follow Jesus and, and for a lifetime. And it's been such a cool thing to, do, to, to see God work on the college campus. I also want to introduce you to my children. My three kids. So the oldest one there is Belle. She's the tallest one in the... In the we, we're not sure if it's a gold and white or if it's blue and black dress, but it, it, um, that's my daughter, Belle, and uh, she turns eight in just nine days, which is crazy. Um, my daughter, Clara Jean, is right there in the... Perp, in the I, I guess I can't really tell what color that is. Magenta, thank you. Thank you, somebody. Uh, we, she's in the magenta, and this morning in the South Twin Cities, the snow is falling, huge flakes. I'm sitting on my couch. I'm reading the Bible. And I hear little, little footsteps coming down the stairs. And it's Clara Jean. And she comes and she sits in my lap. And I'm like, hey, Dad's reading the Bible right now. And she goes over and she gets her Noah's Ark book. And she comes and sits next to me. So that's my sweet little Clara Jean. And then Henry down here in the blue, in the, in the bow tie. Uh, Henry, we call him Hank the Tank. And um, for the parents in the room, you know the stage when they can literally do everything. All of a sudden, I hear like something dragging on the floor, and it's a kitchen chair, and he's bringing her up to a bar stool to get on top of the bar to touch the lights. Like nobody, he can open the fridge and the freezer. We're like, sweet mercy, somebody help us. So that's uh, that's my those those are my kids, my my family, and um, all my life. Like I love seeing, uh, I love following Pastor Derek. I love seeing Ellis and just seeing the resemblance between you and your bride and just seeing I love I've always been fascinated by family resemblances and um, one of the reasons is that because I was adopted I never knew anybody that had a resemblance with me right uh, my brother was adopted as well but he was from a different family uh, biologically so people would be like oh I could tell your brothers I'm like well I don't know if you can but uh, that's great you know and so um, so when my when my wife found out she was, we were pregnant with Belle, I remember my prayer for those nine, well, I guess we found out probably like for those the eight months after we found out, my prayer was, God, would you show me, you're my heavenly father, would you show me your heart? Would you show me the heartbeat of a father in a greater way than ever before as I step into fatherhood? And so I pray, that was my prayer for eight months. And I remember the when Belle was put in my arms, it was like just about five in the morning on um, February 16th, 2012, and the nurse put her in my arms, and I looked down at this little face of this little girl I've been praying for for all those months, 
And I'm like, this is literally the first person that I've ever known that shares a resemblance with me, and I just lost it. I lost it. I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to be a dad and to be her dad. And so um, I'm a, I love being a dad. I love the hashtag dad life. It's my favorite life. And um, part of my story that I'd love to share with you, I believe I shared part of this when I was here last time, last March. But I know we have some visitors that are here. and People, if you weren't here last time, or if you're watching on Facebook Live, um, my story starts in kind of a rough way. And I think um, there are things that we can g- glean from it as we j- before we jump into the scriptures that might be helpful for us this morning. Um, I was born to uh, a really impoverished 17-year-old girl. And the story is that she met a guy, they fell in love, it didn't work out, they cut ties, and a few months later she found out she was pregnant. And I cannot imagine the anxiety, right? She, her parents were divorced. She lived with her dad and her grandparents. She had to drop out of school in like eighth grade to clean homes to help make ends meet. And here she is, pregnant, not married, and freaking out. And the first thing I'm thankful for for my birth mom is that she chose life. And she went full-term with her pregnancy, and that was not always the case in that time in South Korea in the 80s. And so... I'm born on May 28th, 1986, and she has to make another impossible decision. And she said, you know, she can, do, she can attempt to raise me in the, in the current state of what she was living, or she could give me the opportunity for a different kind of life through adoption. And so she made that impossible decision to give me that opportunity for a different kind of life. And so I look on my papers, my birth papers, and it says my legal status when I was born was illegitimate. And my orphan status was abandoned by mother. It's really harsh language, legal, legal, legal terms. But I think about this morning, the, the people that I've met over the years that have talked to me after I've shared my story, they're like, oh man, I, I have felt I- illegitimate or I felt inadequate in my life or in my journey or someone said this to me or someone for years spoke this over my life and I just didn't feel good enough to do something for God. And I just want you to know if you've ever felt that way, if, you've ever, if that's ever been spoken over you, that is not true. You are, you are created in the image of God and God wants to do something remarkable in your life and through your life. The second thing that was, that was uh, abandoned by mother was the, my orphan status. And I think a lot of people, especially as I've worked with the next generation since 2005 when I became a youth leader at Cedar Valley Church, I've talked to so many young people whose lives have been blown up with different family things and abandonment with mom or abandonment with issues with dad and just different things like that. And maybe you've experienced that as, in your own life as an adult, that someone has promised that they would be with you, but they've left. And I I just want you to know that if you've experienced that this morning, I believe that God brought me through the snowstorm in the South Metro to be here today to encourage your faith that God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. And as we have the opportunity today to look at his word, I believe it's going to speak to us in a way that we can then go and do something differently when we leave this place. And so even as we go to the pizza pig out after service, how cool is that? You came on a day where there's a pizza pig out. Praise the Lord. So... Um, I want to pause my story in 1986, and I want to rewind 30 years. There was a, a little girl, 10 years old, and she was sitting on the top stair of her farmhouse in South Dakota. She was looking through a magazine, and when she was done, she kind of flipped over to the cover, and she saw two South Korean little boys on the cover. And when she was 10 years old in 1956, God put a dream in her heart that one day that she could be the mom of two little boys like that. So then fast forward, she gets married, She really tragically loses a baby. 
and she comes to a point where she's told by the doctor in the hospital, sorry, you, you can never have children biologically speaking. She looked at her husband and she said, what would you think about adoption? And he said, yeah, I think, I think, I think so. And so on September 5th, 1986, my 100th day of life, they brought me to MSP, and that was before you had to you know, go through security and do all that stuff, right? You could literally just go up to the gates. You guys remember that? So they were up at the gates, and all of a sudden there's this, there's this uh, airplane that came in from Seattle and before that from Seoul, and the social worker came off the plane carrying a 100-day-old me. And I, that day, September 5th, 1986, went from being an illegitimate abandoned orphan to becoming a beloved son in the Silky Home. And it was half of that dream that God put in my mom's heart 30 years earlier. The next November, my brother was brought off of the plane, put in their arms, and it was that fulfillment of a God dream from 1956, fulfilled in 86 and 87. And I, what we're going to talk about this morning and what's been stirring in my heart for the last several weeks has been this idea of God dreams. And I think there's a lot of us in this room that maybe you've, God's given you some kind of a dream. Last time I was here in March, we talked about this holy discontent. Like there's sometimes there are things that we walk through, that we go through, that we experience in our lives, and they, it kind of breaks us in a way. And that when we find healing through that, we're like, I want to make sure that no one else has to walk that same path. I want to walk with them. Or sometimes we have something that happens and we're, we're, we learn about something and we're like, no. I remember last, after, after speaking here last time, so many people came up after service saying, I want to f- help fight tra- human trafficking. I want to do something to help fight human trafficking. How can I help? How can I engage? And as I talked to Pastor Derek for the last few weeks, he's like, man, our church feels the need to do something about human trafficking. And so maybe that's a dream that God's put in your heart to do something about that. Or maybe... Maybe, just maybe, it was when you were young. Maybe you were at a a church service or a Sunday school class with a flannel graph. Or maybe you were at a camp and God spoke something over your life. And maybe, like, you grew up and life happened, right? And sometimes when life happens, we just put dreams on the shelf. And so maybe this morning, what God would do is he would remind you of a dream that you've put on the shelf. And he would give you the courage to pick it up off the shelf and dust it off. And to say, okay, God, what do you want to do with this in my life? Or maybe this morning as you kind of ended 2019 and you've been processing what is 2020 supposed to look like in my life and my faith, maybe there's something that's been stirring in you that this morning as we look at God's word, that God would begin to give you clarity on what the next step might be. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, Brent, I have literally no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what a God dream or a burden or a vision might be for my life. But maybe you're open to receiving from God this morning what that might be. Because I'll tell you this. For my mom in 1956, she had no idea it would take 30 and 31 years for her dream to come to life. But I'm really glad that she held on to that dream. Because it changed my life. And as we have the opportunity this morning to look at God's word... I thought it would be so appropriate for us to consult probably the greatest dream expert in the history of mankind. And if you look at the people of God back in way back in Genesis, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, right? The the, the patriarchs of the of the of the faith. And then uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had twelve sons, and one of his sons was named Joseph. Now you might know Joseph. Uh, You may have seen the play. You may have gone to the musical. You may have watched the movie of this amazing Technicolor dream cult, right? But the thing is, um, 
as we look at the scriptures today, his, this story is one of the most detailed accounts we have in the scriptures. It's Genesis 37 through 50. It's like a whole bunch of chapters. We get a lot of details on his life. Now, raise your hand if you're in here if you have a sibling or multiple siblings, right? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for the second question, but sometimes in families you can identify who is the favorite. Right? I don't know if you can identify if you're, a lo- if you're an only child, good for you, you were the favorite. Um, but a lot of times there's like, oh, I'm pretty sure that my, my younger sister, I'm pretty sure my oldest brother, I mean, he was a favorite for sure. My, my, the youngest in our family was a favorite, whatever it might be. Joseph's brothers knew that Joseph was a favorite. It wasn't just some feeling they had. It wasn't just some hunch that they had. His dad gave him this sweet coat. Right? Imagine sitting around the Christmas tree. And everyone gets a pair of socks. gold toe black socks. And then someone opens up and it's this beautiful $1,500 Canada Goose jacket. Right? It's this beautiful, unbelievable $1,500 jacket that one person gets and everyone else has gold toes. You're like, dude, seriously? <laughs> That's what happened to Joseph's. Joseph's in his family, he was given this beautiful, ornate robe. And every one of his brothers looked at this robe and they're like, oh man, he is the favorite. Look at that. Dad, Dad didn't give us that. And it got to a point where Joseph's brothers, it didn't, they didn't just dislike him. And it wasn't just family drama. They actually wanted to kill him. Okay? And so the crazy thing is this. Joseph had, as a teenager, I love working with teenagers because they do, they're so open to receiving from God. He was given two dreams by God. And he didn't, in his younger years, have the wisdom to keep those to himself. And so Joseph gets this dream. He's like, hey guys, I had this awesome dream last night. You all bowed down before me. They're like, oh, that's great, man. Awesome. Right? And then he has another dream. And he shares it with his family again. He says, hey, I had another dream. And you guys all, the whole family this time, gets around. And you guys all bow down to me. They're like, wow, that's really great. Why don't you write that in your journal? You know what I mean? Like it's, they're like mad and they don't, they don't like this Joseph brother they have with this beautiful coat. And all of a sudden, Joseph goes, he goes out to see his brothers in the field one day. And as he's approaching in the distance, the brothers start talking. They say, hey, instead of killing the dream, why don't we just kill the dreamer? And so as Joseph approaches, what they do is they beat him up. They take this favorite coat away from him and they throw him down after they've beaten him up into a pit. Now, one of the brothers spoke up and said, hey, we don't, probably shouldn't kill him. We could make some money today. Why don't we sell him? It's literally the first account of human trafficking in the scriptures, right? And Joseph is beaten up by his own brothers, thrown into a pit. They take, I don't, see, this is a different level of like, not cool. They take his coat, they rip it apart, they put animal blood on it. This is before they had all the forensic stuff that we have today. And they go to their dad and they say, hey, it looks like, examine this. Is this, is this Joseph? Is this your son's coat? Because it looks like he was killed by wild animals. And the dad, for the rest of, you know, several years, is heartbroken and sick that his son was killed. Then they take Joseph out of the pit. They sell him to a band of uh, slave, slave traders. And all of a sudden, he's whisked away to a slave market in Egypt in a foreign country. And I don't know if you've ever had this thing where God's spoken to you or he's given you a, a dream or a vision or a burden or a holy discontent or something that's been stirring inside you. And then all of a sudden, it feels like, but God, I'm in a pit. How, how could this ever be? But God, I'm, how, my own family betrayed. How could, how could this ever come to, come to life? 
And the recurring thing that we see in the story of Joseph all the way through is, but the Lord, his God, was with him. And maybe if you feel like you're in a pit right now in your life or you're stuck in your life, the Lord, your God, is with you, church. The Lord, your God, is with you. This has been one of the craziest, worst weeks in my family, like real life, right, real time this week, that I can remember. My dad's been in the hospital. We thought something, we thought he was going to, I thought I was driving to the hospital at three in the morning on Wednesday to say goodbye because of the heart stuff that he was going through. And the thing that I've been standing on all week is but the Lord, my God, is with me. And I want to encourage you, if you're going through it right now in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your career, in your, in your world, the Lord, your God, is with you. And I don't say that, on a, I'm not standing on the top of a mountain to say that to you. I'm standing in the valley saying, he's with us here in the valley. And so Joseph, he's, uh, he's now in, he's been uh, purchased by a guy named Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard for the Egyptian army. And Potiphar sees that this man has the favor of God on his life. He's promoted, promoted, promoted until he's basically running the show in Potiphar's house. Something awkward happens when Potiphar's wife desires to be with him. I know there's children in the room, so adults, you understand what that means. They didn't, she didn't just want to play cards. She wanted to like be with him. And all of a sudden, Joseph found himself in this ethical dilemma situation where he has to make a decision. He says, I will not be with you. I will not dishonor my God. I will not dishonor my master by being with you, his wife. And so Joseph wouldn't even be with her. Then she lays a trap for him where everyone's out of the house. And all of a sudden, here's Joseph, this rugged, this handsome, this well-built young man with the favor of God on his life. And she tries to trap him, and he runs out of there, but she grabs his cloak. And then she frames him for attempted rape as he was an innocent man. And then he's thrown into prison. And you might be thinking, well, Brent, what about me? Like, I, I have this dream, I had this thing, and all of a sudden these detours happen. Like, Joseph's life was a whole bunch of adversity and detours. But the Lord, his God, was with him. And even in prison, I hope I never find myself in prison. But if I do, I want to be like Joseph because he had the favor of God on him in prison. He was basically running the prison. And then through a series of circumstances, he thought he was about to get out of prison, but he was forgotten for two more years. He wasn't forgotten in the Marriott. He wasn't forgotten in the Radisson. He was forgotten in the prison. Okay? This is not good. And you might feel illegitimate or abandoned or in the pit or in a prison or forgotten, but the Lord your God is with you. And then something crazy happened. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who thought he was a god, he thought he was a deity, he had these dreams, these two dreams, and they were so troubling to him. He consulted his magicians, he consulted his spiritual advisors, but nobody could give him the interpretation of his dream. And they said, oh, Joseph, the Hebrew, he's in prison. So they bring Joseph before Pharaoh. Now picture this, a slave from a foreign country. They had to like clean him up because he'd been in prison for all those years. And they bring him before Pharaoh who thinks he's a god. And Pharaoh says, I heard that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph looks at Pharaoh, this slave from a foreign country, this young man, and he says, only God can do that. He's talking to someone who thinks he's a god. He has this boldness that he must have developed over these years of adversity. And he says, only God can interpret dreams, but tell me your dreams and he'll interpret them. So Pharaoh tells him these dreams. And Joseph says, your dreams are one and the same. There's going to be seven years of ridiculous surplus prosperity and everything's going to be awesome. 
the next seven years after that, there's going to be desolation. There's going to be a famine. And unless you do something now, we're not going to make it. So you better find someone who's real smart to put them in charge. Can you just imagine the boldness and the audacity of a slave from a foreign country, this young man being brought before a guy who thinks he's God? And Pharaoh looks around and he's like, well, who's smarter than this guy? And Joseph becomes number two in all of Egypt. This foreign slave who was in prison moments earlier. And all of a sudden, the seven years come, they save up enough grain to be good to go for Egypt and for the surrounding areas. And when the famine hits on year eight, all the other places exhaust their food options. And they, they, they hear that Egypt has saved up all this grain, so they come to Egypt and they're selling off their animals, and they run out of animals, they're selling off their land, so the expansion of territory for Egypt is growing. And all of a sudden, these, this band of brothers come, and they bow down before their brother, Joseph. They don't recognize him. It's a crazy turn of events, and this dream that Joseph had half a lifetime ago is coming to life before his very eyes. But the Lord his God was with him whole time. And Joseph, God would use Joseph to literally save the known world from dying off of with, during this, these seven years of famine. And church, I just want to encourage you today. I want to share a story with you that is happening in real time. It's happening right now. Because when I was in college, I heard about the issue of sex trafficking. And actually, I heard about it from my girlfriend at the time, Aliza, who then became my wife in 2008. She told me what was happening to these little children. She told me what was happening, that people would pay money to do these awful things to these kids. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. What are, you, what are you talking about? It was further substantiated when I went to a chapel later that year, North Central University. And David Grant came all the way from India to share with us the plight of these kids as they're being sold as slaves and not slaves for not just for like labor and, and stuff like that that's horrible too but for unthinkable things and I sat there in my chair in, in the chapel of North Central University in downtown Minneapolis and I squirmed and I squirmed and I squirmed because I was so uncomfortable learning this information and I knew that God was doing something deep in my heart it was this burden it was this vision it was this dream that he was putting in my heart to do something about it and so I knew I could give an offering that day. I knew I could, I could pray. But I felt that there was a deeper work that God was doing. And I don't know if about you. I think microwaves are great. But there's nothing like a slow cooker. You might be like, what are you, why are you talking about this in the middle of your sermon? Because I think sometimes we live in this instant Instagram uh, microwave generation, culture, society, where we want things right away. But God doesn't always work like that. He doesn't work on our timetable. He works on his own. And so for my mom, it was a 30-year journey for that dream to come to life. In 2006, God put a dream in my heart to make a difference for those who are, who are stuck in sex trafficking. And I, right before I turned 30 years old, I was at another Perkins. I guess I go to Perkins too much. I was at another Perkins bakery with a former student of mine. I was a youth pastor for a number of years. And he, his grandfather is Tony Oliva, the famous Minnesota twin. I was there with Yoel Oliva sitting at a Perkins, and he said, Hey, Brent, what's new? He was home from the Marine Corps on leave. It was December the 28th, 2015. And we sat there, and I said, Yoel, I said, I turned 30 in five months. He goes, bro, you're getting old. And I was like, respect your elders. 
And so we're sitting there at Perkins, and I said, hey, God's put a dream in my heart to run 30 miles on my 30th birthday to invite 30 people to run with me so we can raise 30 grand, $30,000 to rescue people out of sex trafficking because every 30 seconds, somebody becomes a victim. He's like, dude, I know it. I hear briefings in the military all the time about human trafficking stuff. It's everywhere. He's like, we got to do something. He reaches in his pocket, and across the table, he hands me a $100 bill. He says, we have to do something to end it. And what he did in that moment was he put his money where my mouth was. And I went out to my car after breakfast, and I sent two messages, one to Pastor Mark Dean, who was our district youth director working with all the youth pastors in Minnesota, and to my friends at Venture, which is my favorite nonprofit in all the earth, they fight human trafficking. I said, can we work together to make this happen in five months? Yes and yes. So I spent the next five months recruiting people to run 30 miles with me. And every time I asked them, hey, would you, hey, Dan Keenan, would you run 30 miles with me? No, man. Hey, would you, hey, Pastor Derek, would you? No, man. I mean, people always said no. And then I said, but here's why we're doing it. Because every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of sex trafficking, and the average age of a slave is 13. And for a young boy, the average age is between 9 and 12 years old. They're like, oh my word. So I'll never forget my birthday, May 28th, 2016. I'm standing at the starting line, and I look down, and there's 48 of us that have said yes to run 30 miles. There are 75 other people that's young and old alike that said, hey, I'll run a 5K, 3.1 miles. Not 30, but 3.1, because I don't want human trafficking to happen anymore in this, in this lifetime. So we got together, and 123 of us ran, and $81,346 came in on, on my birthday. It was the craziest, coolest birthday ever. It was awesome. And what we never could have imagined is that the next year we have 400 people, and the next year 600 people, and last year over 1,000 people. And over the last four years, we've seen over three, uh, sorry, $630,000 raised. And the cool thing is, and I'm really proud to say this, 30 for Freedom, we are entirely volunteer-led. Like, I'm a full-time Kyle for missionary. That's my full-time calling from God to, to pastor and to lead college students to Christ. 30 for Freedom is this burden, this vision that God put on our heart. And so we don't take a salary from that. We don't take a penny from that. So when somebody gives a gift, it goes 100% right to the cause to do three things. Trafficking, prevention, rescue operations, and holistic survivor care. And if I had time, I, and maybe after service, I can share with you about well, how we do those three things through our, our nonprofit partners. But I want to tell you about one more God dream that's unfolding right now. <clears throat> one of the reasons my wife couldn't be here today. She told me in college, when she heard about trafficking, that she was going to change her major to psychology, she was going to get her master's degree, and become a licensed counselor to work with people who have been through horrible trauma like trafficking. That was what she felt was her burden from God. So she went to North Central University, and she graduated in four years with her undergrad in counseling, or in psychology. She went to the University of St. Thomas, she got her master's. Then she spent 4,000 hours of supervised, license, or supervised clinical hours to get licensed as an LPCC counselor in Minnesota. And then she's gone on to do a whole bunch of trauma-specific training. And this last Tuesday, she got on a flight to Nepal to go work with girls who have been rescued out of sex trafficking, girls who didn't know their value. And this week, she actually got to live out her, to begin to live out that dream in a new way 
as she got to work with the leadership, the moms. There are 600 girls in one of these uh, these big safe houses, and they have these house moms, these leaders that that when they are received in, they take care of them. And she got to train the leaders on how to deal with trauma. So she's doing this cross cross culturally. Then. The next day, she got to work with 70 girls who had been trafficked. And she got to help instill value and worth. And one of them said this. She said, for the first time in my life, I finally know that I deserve to be loved. That happened this week. She's currently still over there. I just talked to her on the phone on the way here. FaceTime audio. She's living out her dream. Her God dream took 15 years to begin to come to life. Joseph's dream took half a lifetime to come to life. My mom, took thir- it took 30 years for her dream to come to life. The 30 for freedom dream, it took 10 years to start having traction. But the Lord, your God, is with you. And if God is stirring something in your heart, if God is doing something new in you, or if God is reminding you of something you put on the shelf from when you were younger, I would encourage you guys this morning. I'm going to actually, I would love to pray. I'm going to invite Pastor Derek to come join us again on the stage. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that God would remind us of those dreams, that God would drop new dreams in our hearts. And if you don't know God, the final story I'll share with you is this, my last two minutes. When I was 18 years old, I was invited to a church service on a Wednesday night, fall of 2004. And I grew up in the church. Actually, when I was adopted, um, that Christmas was a few months later, and the, the pastor said, hey, we, we know you have a baby in your house. Would you, would you like you, your son to be baby Jesus? Now, this is my one shot. You know what I mean? You can't see baby Jesus in there. He's not from Korea. So it was my one shot. We were traveling. So I actually couldn't be baby Jesus. I lost it. But um, you're like so random, right? But I tell you that to say I grew up in the church. From the time I was 100 days old, I grew up in the church. I went to church every week, sometimes twice a week. But somehow in those first 18 years, I missed Jesus. And we're talking about God dreams today. We're talking about God burdens today. But you can't get a God dream or a God burden if you don't have God. And I want want to share just how my life was changed. And then I'll invite Pastor Derek to come up. I walk into this youth service. And there's like 300 high schoolers and middle schoolers in this room. Now, that's scary. That's a lot lot of energy in one room. And I walk into this room as a freshman in college. And they're raising their hands. And they're worshiping God. And I come from a tradition where we don't raise our hands. So I thought a lot of, I thought there was like a lot of questions. Like, oh man, there's so many questions. And I walk in and they're just like, oh. And I'm like, oh, they're not asking questions. They're doing something else. And I'm like, whatever they're doing, they really believe it with all their heart. And I heard this message from this guy named Ryan Skoog, who's actually on the trip in Nepal with my wife right now. He was a youth pastor at Cedar Valley. And he said, you know, there's nothing you could do so good that would make God love you any more than he already does. I was like, wait, I can't earn this? It's not a cosmic scale of good and bad and I gotta outweigh the bad? He's like, no, that's not, that's not in the Bible. He said, there's nothing you could do so good that would make God love you any more than he already does because he doesn't change. His love for you doesn't change. I was like, whoa, my mind was blown. And then he said this, he said, and there's, not, there's no sin you could ever commit that would make God love you less than he already does because his love for you doesn't change because he doesn't change. And I'm like, I'm aware of my sin as an 18-year-old kid living away from God. I'm aware of what's going on in my life, and my life's falling apart. And I'm like, I can't lose this? So now I'm in this place of like, what do I do? I can't earn it, and I can't lose it, so what do I do? He said, you need to surrender everything, everything that you are, over to God and follow him. 
And I sat there in my chair in the back of the sanctuary at Cedar Valley Church as an 18-year-old kid in the fall of 2004. And I closed my eyes and I said, God, I surrender my life to you. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Forgive me of my sins. There are so many. And I'll follow you all of my days. And that changed the course of my life. And God dreams followed it, but that's not why. And I want to encourage you this morning is we're going to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus. If you've never done that, maybe you grew up in the church like me, the Lord your God is with you. And he wants all of us to come to him and say, God, have your way in me. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your love for us, that we can't earn it, that it's so great that we could never do something so wrong that would make us lose ground in your sight. And I pray for every person, for every heart, God, for everyone watching online, everyone who's here, that, Lord, we would be reminded today the Lord our God is with us. I pray you'd stir up dreams and visions. I pray you'd remind us of dreams and visions from the past, that we could walk in obedience and take a next step of obedience, God, this week. And I pray for those, God, who are wanting to make that decision this morning, that you would do something in this moment right now and draw them to you. In Jesus' name. Can we get up for Brent? Seriously. As a youth pastor, um, I don't like when kids can beat me at something. Do you have any parents in the house that are uber competitive? Okay. Like, 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 when, when, like when it's all fun and games, you're in the backyard, and you're like, you're like oh, come catch me. And then all of a sudden they get older and they can actually outrun you, right? Like, that's, that's, that's intimidating. I'm competitive. I don't like to get beat in anything. Um, but can I just say, you guys of the Bridge Church, it's getting harder and harder to beat my kids in terms of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish. I don't get the mic necessarily a lot in here to brag on our kids, but our kids are amazing, you guys. And this last fall, I get emotional. This human trafficking stuff hits home for me, and it's a, it's it's it hits home, and I don't want to see it happen anymore. Because what broke me is when Brent shared that the first time, and I looked at our students. A lot of them are 13, 14, and so to think of them all those awful things are just awful. Awful. And so they've caught that heart and they've caught that vision. And this last fall, I laid it down to them and I said, you guys, like, we got to stop this. We got we, we to gotta just end it. We got we to gotta, we gotta run. We got to raise money. And, you know, last year we raised $1,000 and that was awesome. But, like, let's go. Let's go for a God-sized dream. And I shared the need. And in four weeks... Weeks, 30 or 40 students, they came on a Wednesday night and, and we had some cool worship. And I said, like, whatever happens tonight, God, you guys, what, if, it's, if it's five bucks or it's 500, whatever it is, like, I'm so proud of you for what you did. You guys, they raised $2,100 in four and a half weeks. Because they get it. They get the need. They get the heart. And I share that not talk about money, but to, to, to lay it out before all of us, you guys, that they're leading the charge. And so, let's not let's not just let them be it. Let's lead by an example. Let's, let's set the bar for them even higher. 
That's what I'm having to do is, is, is I'm going, okay, look, look, so I'm praying to me, dear God, what would you have us do this year? What would you have us do? And, and, I, and I have these numbers in my head. And, and so then I, I, I come to youth group the next one and I said, I want you to pray and I want you to say what you feel like God's calling you to do. And then I'll share what I have on my heart. They're twice as high as I am in terms of my dreams and my visions. So here's, here's my challenge to you, you adults, you parents. Let them dream. Let them go big. Fuel their dreams. Fuel their passions. Let them be. And can I just say to you, live out your dream. There are some things you can teach. There's some things that are taught and there's some things that are caught. And a lot of times what you catch is much more than what you are taught. And so if they see you as parents, if they see you as adults, if they see you as teachers and as employees and whatever you do, if they see you living out your God-given dream, if they see you going before the Father and saying, God, I'm broken. God, I'm messed up. God, I need you to just please come into my life. God, I need you to take me to the next level. They see that. And they follow in your footsteps. So I love what Brent's talking about because your God-given dream might not come right now. It might not come next year or the following year. But in the process, your kids see you dreaming. They see you making small steps happen to get to your dream. And they will follow in suit. So if you're in this place and you're a parent, I'm going to pray for us all in just a second. Then we're going to enjoy some delicious food. I want to pray for two things. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, and I know Brent just prayed for us, we're going to pray again. If you've never had a relationship with him before, you need to know that you're enough. You need to know that he loves you more than you could possibly even love anything in this world. Just as you are. But the second thing I want to pray for is for those of us in here who maybe feel the need to step up. Feel the need to, to live out that God-given dream. I want to pray for you too because like Brent said, sometimes life comes and it's easy to forget that dream. It's easy to forget, to, it's easy to forget dreaming in general. So we're going to pray for that. So if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes, bowing your head with me. God, you love us. And God, there is nothing too big or, or, or too massive or too bad, God, that could ever keep us from your love. And so God, for those in this place who have never had that relationship with you, God, I pray that today they would know all they need to do. It's this simple of saying, you know what, God, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm not perfect, but God, you've created things in me that are good. And Lord, when I confess to you, when God, I'm here, I'm saying, I'm messed up, would you come into my life? You do. You change our lives forever. And God, for those in this room who maybe do know you, maybe do love you, but God, want to live out their God-given dream, I pray, God, that you would start to just stir the passion within their heart, whether it's for human trafficking or something different. Begin to stir those hearts. Begin to just cultivate that within them. And God, let them wake up tomorrow morning with a whole new perspective, a whole new vision, a whole new passion to make an impact on this world. Because there's no ceiling to what you want to do. There's no limit to how far you can go and to what you can accomplish. So God, be with us all. Whatever we need, have your way in us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.